welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey there, buddy. How you doing today? Good, man. The sun is shining. The weekly weather report from Seattle. All right. Awesome. There you go. You know, we had great weather a couple of weeks ago, the 1st of March, and the weather forecaster came out and said, there has not been a snow-free March in Chicago in 80 plus years. And sure enough, <laughs> it's on its way. <laughs> it's not. <good. laughs> so there you go. Seb was saying in our, um, we had to do a weekly game time across the Yuna's group and he's got 20 inches of snow in his backyard at the minute. So he's not going to get up to much this weekend, which is a shame. <laughs> yeah. Well, those Canadians, they're used to it. So they're all good. But what you going to do? More from Seb later, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah. But first, we'll touch base on the news. So we're going to start with uh, former community, current Microsoft Waldeck Mastercars. He has a, a post on doing Microsoft Graph from Teams tabs using SSO. And so the Teams developer platform has a SSO solution for both tabs and bots. I've successfully defeated the bot solution myself, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, while that goes through the steps on how to do it in tabs, calling our favorite API, the Microsoft Graph, so good to go there. I have to admit, though, as I was scrolling through, he used the word exchange in all the headings because you're exchanging a token for Microsoft Graph, and I'm thinking, no, exchange is deprecated. What's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but thanks, Waldeck, for putting through this step-by-step. Uh, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, that's his job now, so it's gotten the quality's even better. And, that's right. He gets paid to do this. Yeah, pretty pictures and everything. So it's awesome. And so just to kind of reiterate on this, like it's really important that you take this approach if you're doing any type of calls back to graph in a Teams app inside of a tab or a personal app, primarily because it allows us to do a lot more in the back end because obviously in your manifest, you're declaring your web application info, you're putting in the GUID and you're putting in the resource and it is a more integrated experience for the end user rather than getting those weird pop-ups because we know that they're Jeremy because they're in Teams as Jeremy. So this is kind of the official way of doing it. So it's great to see Waldeck um, putting this much detail into a blog post to explain it all, which is good. You know, I would add further that if you don't do this, you have to write code to do the acquisition. You have to cache. The you should cache the tokens. You should make the user experience good. Why do all that work when someone's done it for you? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the feedback item is that the the app registration with the URIs that you have to do and the manifest inside of Teams that you have to do for all this to make everything work is still a bit of a struggle, but... It's plumbing for sure. Yeah, and the tooling will get better, no doubt about it. it yeah, as things iterate, it'll get better, so... You may see some things about build about... Yeah, I wonder. This tooling I wonder. getting easier. Yeah. I wonder... And to be honest, I've never actually loaded the Visual Studio extension for Teams development because I have a Teams app that's already done, right? So I don't need it. So it may already be there. So Right. So you don't necessarily have to go through that. That that add-in is actually pretty good for existing projects too. It doesn't, it's not like you have to start with a net new project with that tool, um, yeah, but they are doing yeah. a lot of work to uh, optimize for that too. Yep. So looking forward to seeing that. Next, uh, a community article that I saw was Yves Habersat. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, he has a post of how to start a new SPFX web part project with Microsoft Graph Toolkit and React. 
And this is a wonderful way to get started. And um, <laughs> well, more on this later when we get to our guest. But it's thanks, Steve, for putting this out there to to go through. And he starts with Yo, you know, SharePoint, and gets started going through the whole kit and caboodle. So great to have a, a external resource going through the steps on how to do that. So thanks, Eves, for doing that. Yeah, and then um, Martina, who obviously has been a long term MVP, that she is one of those people that I really miss on the circuit and actually it looks like it's Martina and this one actually looks like Tony's written it because I think they both share a blog post together um, like the power couple inside of M365 and what Tony's been talking about here is um, schema extensions and how they actually use it inside of their own product um, for the ecosystem called Delegate 365 he walks through like the benefits of schema extensions but one nice thing he's also done in a separate blog post is talk about the new PowerShell modules and how you can use those Microsoft Graph PowerShell modules to actually go create and read those schema extensions just using straight PowerShell, which is kind of cool from a product config perspective as well. So if you're thinking about anything kind of keeping all your configuration in M365, the schema extensions is definitely a good way to do it. There are some limitations which are documented in terms of like how many you can have and limits on the size of them. Um, and interestingly, um, Dan Kershaw, who's been a PM on Graph for I guess since the beginning with, um, you know, is actually looking, he's looking at um, the kind of the V next for this. What does this look like in the future? And so we'll get him on the show when he's got a few, few more thoughts around that. So we can garner some feedback from everyone listening. Cause we do know that some of these things currently can't be used because of the scenario they're trying to be used for. And we're trying to unlock that with the graph in the future. Yeah. It's worth reading that, that blog by Tony just to see how they're using it in their own products. Cause many ISVs, want to keep all their data in the customer's tenant and not have anything in a multi-tenant SaaS, which is where schema extensions come in. Paul's like, thumbs up here. Yeah, exactly. Right? I, I don't want to store any data that is going to give me in trouble. So if I don't need it, uh, I don't want to store it. But obviously, this isn't a, re- a replacement for your database. I can't put everything I would ever dream of about a, a user or a group or whatever in the schema extensions. But it's certainly th- the the key thing that, that I've seen and we've used is, is tying stuff together. There's a there's an entry in my database that has no PII. It's just a GUID. So how do we associate that GUID to a user? And by put using the schema extensions, I don't have to store that data and can get what I need. So it's great to see, great to see this out there. And I love that they're using uh, PowerShell to get people started. So uh, yeah, another clever. angle to come into it instead of having to, you know, just fire up code all the time. So great to see that. Next, uh, another one from uh, uh, Sergey. Sergey, Sergey's been doing a lot of posts, and we find them. And he's got another great one that helps connect all the dots, if you will. Building Outlook add-in with SPFX, which is uh, not a very high-frequency task, but can be great. But he's saving mail to OneDrive, and he ties in a bunch of the other services as well, including Azure Functions and MSAL and so on. But this is a common request, right? People have got email, and they want to get it out of email for whatever reason. We've seen this a lot. There have been, shoot, as long as there's been SharePoint, there's been tools to save you know emails in it, right? <laughs> and so um, Sergey goes through the whole thing about how he used the SPFX web part calling out to Azure Functions and and um, uh, inside of Outlook to save an email, right? So you hit the button, you open the task, like hit a button, boom, save. It's like ticking all the tech platforms right yeah, there. Yeah, right. So, I mean, and for some people, they live in their inbox. And so if I live in my inbox and I need to get something out, this is a great way to do that. So nice to see. And, and we don't see a lot of SPFX solutions inside of Outlook. It's been it's been around for quite a while. I just haven't yeah, seen many right. people posting about it. So that, that's what caught my attention. So, oh, this is great. I haven't seen many. This is perfect to see. So thanks to Sergey for reading that. I always always find the Office add-ins just sleepers. Like some of the, I mean, I use 
Boomerang as an example was a great partner. Um, I use the Dynamics Outlook add-in basically every day because I'm tracking all my conversations with ISV partners so that my entire team can see it in our CRM. And then Find Time is the other big one that you've probably heard me talk about in the show a lot. When we look out there in the wild, there's not that many bloggers writing about it. And so it's one of those things where if you listen to the show and you're like, I want something to kind of carve out as a space, there's definitely a lot of um, void there to be filled um, in the community, in my opinion, around that. And there's so many things you can do with that. Um, I speak to Juan, who listens to the show, I know, who's a PM in in the office Outlook at web adding team. And he's always showing me cool demos of what people are doing. So um, we should get them, him back on the show, actually. I'm going to add that as a task. Yeah, yeah you know, and it reminds me, the, back in the day, and now we're talking when, when graphy things and office extensibility was was picking up, there, there were slides put together that part of it is you want to get data out of the Microsoft 365 service and Microsoft Graph is a great way to do that. But there's also where you can play in the canvas that's provided by the Office apps. You know, Word, PowerPoint, Excel, Exchange, or Outlook all have those task panes. And so if your users are using those tools, that certainly is a good uh, approach to, to get data in there. It's not always in Teams, right? Sometimes I actually need to write, a, write an email or write a document. So... Great to see that going on. So yeah, I second your your suggestion if uh, you're looking to to get out there. It's, uh, I'll go there. find Juan. Yeah, there you go. So this week on on the the, the show, uh, you will dragged along a colleague of yours or a, <laughs> a member of your team, Sebastian Lever, and I'm sure I've messed up his last name like I always do. But Seb made a return to the show, and we were joking how last time we, he was on the show was when we were allowed to travel. So <laughs> great to get him on. In typical Paul fashion, he mentioned the technology I don't know anything about, so I asked him questions so that I can be less stupid when I talk to the boss. So thanks Seb again for doing that. <laughs> So, so we talked about the MGT get. If I got that right, that's the right component. He, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, thanks, Seb, for coming on the show and, and educating us on that. It looks great, and uh, we look forward to uh, next week. So, take it easy, buddy. Yeah, cheers, buddy. See you later. On. This week on the podcast, we are delighted to sit into a team meeting between Jeremy and Seb Levert. <laughs> hey, Seb, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing great. How's it going, Paul? It's uh, doing well. Uh, welcome back to the show. I looked, it was number 194. Two years ago, you were in Chicago at SP Fest, yeah. and we sat around and talked about Far big out. picture stuff, and I'm still in Chicago, and you didn't come back. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> well, you know what? That's actually the last in-person event I've ever done that Chicago event and since then we're we're basically stuck at home it's insane yeah well well thanks for coming back on I know that uh, life has changed for you quite a bit so why don't you reintroduce yourself for folks so they know who you are and what you're up to these days awesome so my name is Sebastian Lavar I am a senior program manager on the Microsoft Graph team happily led by my great friend here Jeremy uh, so I work on Jeremy's team uh, to uh, basically build great relationships with our partner and customers that are utilizing Graph today. So that's what I'm I'm doing now on a daily basis. Previously been a, an MVP for six years and now I just got my chip, my kind of token of MVP reconnect 
So I, I'm going to miss that community, but still everybody is very close. It feels like I'm not losing it anyway. Well, that, that's great. And there was a lot of marketing speak there. So let's cut through because we know developers want to get to the meat and potatoes. What we want to talk <laughs> about is uh, the, the Graph Mailbag series that Jeremy and I have, have introduced a couple times now on the show. But you wrote one on uh, an interesting topic that I know nothing about. And so glad you're here. Awesome. <laughs> Paul can play the, the dumb interviewer technique right now. Well, it's not really an act. It's really that's just what, what I am. So <laughs> the the one you wrote was on the Microsoft Graph Toolkit. So why don't you let's go start at the high level. What is this uh, mailbag post that you wrote? I've been a big, big fan of that side of the kind of the Microsoft Graph tools that exist. There's a bunch of them. One of them being the toolkit, Microsoft Graph Toolkit, which is a web components library that is connected to Graph. So basically, you add a login component to your app, you click on login, you're logged in, then you can display your agenda items, your emails, and all these kind of things, all built using standard web components, which means you can integrate that in your Angular app, in your React, in plain HTML, like I do. I prefer it to be plain HTML, so it's not complicated. I can do that very, very, very quickly. And there's a, a set of different components that exist. There's uh, the person component, the people finder component, the team's channel picker, a bunch of different components that are built around, I would say, the most popular APIs or most popular endpoints of Graph. And my my post on the mailbag was around getting like above and beyond these components. These components are there. They can serve parts of your business problems. But if you need to do more, can you build your own components? Can you build your own ways of integrating with Graph? And that's where the MGT get component comes into play. And the, the, the post is all about how you can leverage the MGT get in your in your own applications. Yeah. And credit to Nicola and um, Beth and Elise, who are kind of PMs and devs on this, and Sean actually on the back end, because you know the, the feedback I gave them was, look, I know it's going to take a while to have web components that matched every single workload in the graph because, you know, every day the graph grows. And I was like, you know, setting the, the gauntlet down of like, how can we solve this in a more generic way, but still have these like more shrink wrapped web components for things, scenarios that Seb just mentioned. So the get one is probably un underknown. And that's why we wanted to do the mailbag series really and get on the podcast because it's something that it does solve for a lot of issues and it makes it really easy for dev devs to get going. So it looks to me a lot like back in the day, we would do data binding to legacy ASP.NET framework stuff, right? So a similar concepts, am I right on that? Yeah, so basically you, you plug in a, an endpoint to graph and then afterwards you build your template like you would do in Razor or in Angular. It's a very, or handlebar or whatsoever. So you just, here's a data source and now you can just play with the raw JSON that comes back from Graph. So you're basically 100% responsible of what you call, how you display it on, on the screen. But that's where I believe is the value of this kind of like these, these components. Because if you just have available and all polished, well-polished components, well, you only have access to that capability. If you can build whatever you need, then that's where MGTGET comes into play. And you know, that's, and that was the next thing I thought of, right? We, we've seen at shows and demos and videos, we talked with Nicole about the, the pre-built components for the people picker or for the calendar, but maybe I don't want that, right? Maybe I want my own thing. And so MGT get is what I would do if I something I just need for my own use, not not something out of the box. 
Exactly. A good a good example, and that's one that is being used on the playground um, of MGT. So MGT.dev, you can go on there and you can actually play with MGT Get and build a random component right in your in, in your web browser. And it's the email one. We don't provide as part of MGT. There's no my emails or something like that. So the one that is there is basically we're using these me slash uh, mail folders inbox. So basically it gets into your inbox and it grabs back the JSON with the subject, the highlighted, like kind of the first couple of sentences of the body, the author, the like sent to, sent from, all these things. And it just builds a really nice UI that even looks like uh, what Outlook would provide. And this is literally 20 lines of HTML. So basically you connect it to graph using only kind of HTML elements in your uh, HTML file or in your React file, which is great because you don't have to think about, okay, I need to authenticate. I need to, and I know, Paul, you're good with authentication. Um, <laughs> um, you, don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to go through any of that. You already have your token, you put in the URL and, and that's the beauty of MGT Get. It's going to do all the queries to graph on your behalf without you to build the bearer token or some of the authentication complexities and the scopes and all of that. It's all built into the tool. The, that authentication then is browser implicit flow or whatever it's called these days, right? Yeah. I mean, it's that it's that uh, all this is running in a browser session, right? If you decide that you're using the MSAL provider, so you can use the MSAL provider. That's definitely okay. But if you want, you can use a proxy provider that could do on behalf of. So you could be calling into your own backend and would do the on behalf of. We have an amazing sample of that. Uh, Jason and our team built a full sample of the on behalf of with the proxy provider, meaning that you can really get an, a full SSO experience, even in Teams and all these kind of things. So really, really, really powerful stuff there. You can also do just a, um, a very, very, very simple uh, SharePoint provider. You're on the SharePoint page. Again, we'll use the, uh, the uh, implicit flow for parts of it and we'll integrate with the SPFX client and all these kind of things. So you basically integrate whatever you need. And there's some really, really cool new stuff coming up from a provider perspective also that will enable even more uh, scenarios. Yeah, because the next question is Teams, right? <laughs> if it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. With that right now, with the uh, proxy provider that does the on behalf of, uh, now it gets you 100% of uh, coverage inside Microsoft Teams already. If you have your own service that basically serves these uh, these queries on behalf of your user. And are these providers running in the browser as well? Or is the... because yeah. I hear a proxy provider, a thing is something on the server backend, but this is all still running in the browser? Except the proxy provider that connects to your own service that would run as a, an Azure okay. function or as a, as a service or whatsoever. All the rest are running entirely uh, client-side in the browser, yes. Okay. Yes, I think there's a default MSAL provider. There's the put me inside an SPFX SharePoint web part. And then there's a I'm in a Teams tab with the Microsoft Teams provider. And then the one they just released, must have been last week or something, the Electron provider. So if you're in an Electron app, it, they make it easy to use MCL node for that too. So more of a node provider, but they're framing it as an Electron one. I think there's both. There's a node one and there's a uh, an Electron one. But I have to validate that. But it's it. I know that the Electron one is great because there's a lot of people building apps using Electron, and now it just integrates like flawlessly in, in the flow, and it integrates with the uh, uh, machine level authentication libraries, which is great. 
just loves just chewing up everyone's RAM on their computers too. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> Why wouldn't they? <laughs> well, you know, because if I if I have some component and and I could run these now as like a Visual Studio Code extension, right? It, it, it's just HTML, and so being able to do electronic provider, I can see a lot of scenarios there as well, right? Absolutely, absolutely. But now the big struggle, at least for me is at the end of the day, I still need to write HTML that looks right. It looks pretty, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, uh, parts of it. Uh, there is a couple of libraries you can use that can help you not uh, go through the CSS nightmare that we all go through. I'm definitely not a UI designer. If you go see the post, you're going to see how much of a non-designer I am. Well, well so, so what I was getting at is, does the, does the graph toolkit bring some of that stuff along with me or do I integrate with what used to be called fabric is now called fluent or I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank, but you marketing, you Microsoft guys will straighten me out, but <laughs> it, it, how does the graph toolkit help me in care? So I want to use this custom layout because it's not a component that is canned, but yet I still want it to look like the rest of the host application. Where, where do I go for that kind of a, a solution? This is where I think Fluent comes in. Um, the out-of-the-box MGT does not provide, uh, it's not a CSS or a styling type of uh, library. It, it brings the styles it needs for what it does. So the people is already styled and the to-do tasks are already styled, all these kind of things. But if you want to go your own way, I would either go Fluent UI or integrate with you, 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 your building stuff inside maybe the material type of library, then that's the beauty of, of the toolkit here is it's 100% framework agnostic. So you don't have to live with Fabric or Fluent uh, if it does not match the styles of your, um, of your app. So that's something that is really, really, really important because we want to bring graph in any SaaS apps, in any, because a lot of these apps will not live within the M365 ecosystem or in, inside an app, it's going to live inside their own experience, which has maybe it's very fluent-y, that's possible, but some are absolutely not. So we wanted to make sure that it's as easy as possible to integrate. And if you like Fluent, just integrate with Fluent. That's as, as easy as it gets, especially now that we have our React components for MGT. So you can just reuse the Fluent uh, components that are all uh, React-based and you can just match them with uh, the React components of MGT that has like a, a super set of the capabilities that already exist in MGT. And then you can get the best of both worlds. But Paul, it means you might have to do a little bit of CSS. Yeah. Tiny bit. I must admit, Nicola makes it look easy. Those demos we did at Build last year in that three-hour live coding thing, like he was just like, well, if you just add this attribute and do that, and it was like, oh my God, that looks so much better than like what Seb has in the screenshot here, which is like UI, UL and then LI with zero attribution on it too. But that's what this blog post is about showing how templating works and showing the data. It's not about making it look pretty. Exactly. But um, it's a really good point, Seb, around making it look like our experiences or making it look like their experiences. Like with the partners that you're working with already, I would probably say you're about 50-50, right? Like you're... 50% of your partners, you're building, you're getting them to build stuff with Graph that is living in Teams or Outlook or some other thing we can't talk about. And then the other half is building in their products 
and like I imagine the people you're talking to are on completely different stacks and technologies where they could still use MGT but not tie themselves quite to the fluent libraries. Absolutely. Like the, the breadth of technologies I'm working with on a daily basis is just I'm really impressed. Like I've always been on the Microsoft or thinking about Microsoft from a stack perspective. So for me, a web API is .NET or .NET Core, and the front end is is HTML or React or maybe Razor if you're doing .NET. Oh my God, I learned a lot, <laughs> and there's a lot more languages in the world. So people integrating heavily with Microsoft Graph, with Python, with Java, with uh, a bunch of like Ruby, a, a, a bunch of them. And on on the UI side, uh, we have uh, Angular, homemade. UI frameworks because they have such a complex app that they had to build their own UI frameworks, like everything. So it means that if we come with a pre-baked framework like MGT or a pre-baked library like MGT that is has a flavor of React and is just for React, then we isolate ourselves from tons of different partners. And we don't want that. We 100% don't want that. So by making it as agnostic as possible, it Sometimes they're going to build the wrappers to build them within their own experiences, or they're just going to use the HTML and, and, and go with it. And that's, I think, a key to MGT is it can integrate in any app that is web-based, basically, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, and that, that's definitely the journey I was on when I joined, rejoined the Graph team was just around the different languages. Like I was working with a partner this week that used Go heavily across their entire stack. And like, I've never written a line of Go in my life. But I mean, every language is similar. And Paul, you've been on that journey for a long time, being in the industry where you've probably had to force yourself into JavaScript worlds from being on the <laughs> ASP.NET rendering platforms, I'm sure. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but what, one thing that you did mention, right? So now we're transitioning to the part of the podcast where Paul asks questions to make him do a better job. Using MGT with React, which kind of, you know, setting off alarm bells for me between SPFX and some of the teams you know, teams generate stuff. Are there React components as part of MGT? Or you're saying it's just easy enough to use MGT get to get the data and then use the existing React or both? Both. So um, you could use HTML straight inside your React. So bring the MGT get as part of your React component and start building out from there. Or there's a package that already wraps all these components, all these web components as React components. So you have like the full IntelliSense and you can just do a, uh, a bracket get and you put in your resource and it all, the, all will work automatically. So if you want to uh, use that as part of a React app, you have like the highway to do it. It's a lot easier to utilize the, the React packages than just using the HTML. HTML and React, especially when there are none known uh, HTML uh, stuff, it, you need to declare like a bunch of, forget about this tag. I know what it is. It's going to render the right thing. Believe me. And, <laughs> and, and now you don't have to do that. with, But you, you can if, if you want to keep it simple, but you don't have to. You can use the React wrapper on top of MGT. That is just basically, uh, it's automatically generated. So we dynamically generate the wrappers based on the web components. The, again, this is Paul's ignorance in React, no doubt, but we started talking about how MGT get lets me do any HTML that I want in the template. Because what I'm getting at is, even if I'm gonna style something, I need to have a little basic understanding of the structure of the page, right? So if I'm using MGT for React or any of these other frameworks, do, do I need to understand what that 
what that HTML structure looks like so I can style it? Or do I still, uh, can I still do the templating model even though I'm using some provi React provided thing? You, you can do both in that case. So you can use the templates that, or the template slots that we call in MGT. So basically here is, put your HTML template here that supports um, a mustache-based templating or a handlebar-based templating, which is like uh, bracket, bracket, put the name of a, uh, an attribute or a property there, and it's going to automatically render that. Or because it's all web and you could include as part of your uh, React component another React component and pass in some values, well, you can do exactly the same thing. So think about you build an, uh, um, a, you use the, the get component and you build a uh, email React component that has nothing to do with MGT get, but you get through MGT get the object, the emails that you want to pass into that other component, that other component will render whatever it needs to render. And afterwards, because it's wrapped in get, you won't have to care about authentication. You won't have to care about caching. You won't have to care about the scopes, the version of Rafa whatsoever. Your component will just render an email and you're just going to loop through these uh, right there. So you can build your HTML to do that. You can use another, I don't know, industry uh, standard for an email. Like, I don't know, you go in and, and material might have one. Fluent might have one. You include that in your library, and now you have the best of both worlds. And you, you touched on caching there, Seb. So one of the big things that we do work with a lot of partners on is like the amount of call requests they make. And as their app gets more and more successful and they get more users um, using their app, they can start to tickle on the throttling boundaries. So we often, the first thing you talk about is like, is there a way you cache things on your end? So rather than keep calling us, based on the shape of the data. And so this has built-in caching then as part of the component? Yeah, and that's that's an interesting part. That's the beauty of open source. I was building, been a couple of months now, I was building uh, an app, a sample app with the MGT. And then, and then I was like, I can't believe I'm calling the me profile all the time and my emails all the time. I don't want that. Mm -hmm. So um, I reached out to Nicola and like, hey, Nicola, do you need caching on the MGT get component? Like, Yes, we need. And then what we did is we basically included caching as part of the MGT get. So every URL will get its own cache. So if you're calling slash me slash messages, what we're going to do, we're going to, based on the, the, the dev can decide if they want to cache or not that MGT get component or that query to, MGT, to uh, the messages. Yes or no. And how long? So now they, they can decide that automatically as part of the HTML attributes, you say caching on for 15 minutes. Right, because how often does your given name and surname change in a 15-minute period? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so you can cache this. Um, we cache it as part of IndexedDB. So we in, in browser database and not in local storage or in, in uh, session storage. So it means that this is very recent, very modern way of caching information that will never bring your browser. Your browser actually has a limit of stuff that can be cached on, uh, well, can be stored in the local storage or session storage. It's never going to get, gonna, never going to hit these limits. 
So you can cash as much, well, as much as you want. You need to be careful about that. But uh, <laughs> um, then you, you use that, IndexDB will be there. Um, natively, all the other components also have that capability of caching their own stuff. So if you're using the people component or if you're using the to-do component, it's going to do that. And it's going to automatically update the data when you get to the point where the data is, is becoming stale. So you can go back to graph, bring it back inside the cache and, and use, use the cache, with, which literally changes the experience uh, from a performance standpoint. When you land on a page, oh, I'm sure. it's like everything yeah. is coming from graph uh, from uh, the local storage by default or index DB by default. And then afterwards, if there's nothing, then I go and I call into um, to the graph, which is amazing because it, it, it creates... And it's one attribute on that web component and element. That's it. It, and, and it's so easy yeah, and it's, really uh, it was fun. It, it was a, um, a, a it, I don't code a lot, but when I code, uh, I make it sure that uh, it's going to make me be as lazy as possible afterwards. That's exactly what that component does. <laughs> <laughs> Did you forget you're talking to the boss? He he codes like me in PowerPoint slides now. Yes. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, but, but it's, it's perfect though with the, like going back to the mailbag where this, this is the kind of thing. And so I, I know there's one or two mailbag, mailbag items I haven't read yet. Primarily because Jeremy said he's going to bring folks on to talk about them, but <laughs> that, that, uh, that that's perfect to to get us started. Because yeah, you've enlightened enlightened me here already on on what we, we can do. Because RUI doesn't look like Microsoft's all the time, so I was thinking, well, I don't want to use that because it's it's the people picker thing isn't what I want, right? So that that's awesome in there. So, so are you uh, on board for any more uh, mailbag articles? You want to have a teaser for us? So what, what to look forward to? It was it was funny because this week we we actually uh, scheduled my next post on the on the mailbag, which I think is a really interesting topic that is close to a lot of our partners' heart right now that we're talking with. So there so there's graph. Graph is very popular and everything, but graph is let's call it fairly recent. It's been there for for a long time, but a lot of partners have invested heavily in integrating with Exchange and Outlook. But on the Outlook REST API, which has been an API that has been there for a very, very long time. And now my next post will be tips and tricks on moving from Outlook REST API to Graph. And the beauty is, well, basically, Graph and Outlook REST APIs are two very, 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 very similar APIs because they're kind of connected to each other. So moving is not as hard as people, uh, people would think, even from a, a permissions and scoping perspective and everything. It works uh, really, really amazingly. So the next post will be on bringing your apps from Autogress API to Graph without kind of uh, planning a six-month project for that. And, and whoever makes Jeremy mad has to write the one that says move from the SharePoint REST API to the graph, right? Because <laughs> it's not quite as similar, but... Yeah. Who's the SharePoint subject matter expert on the team, Seb? Uh, I don't know. I don't know anybody. No, it, it, it is me. And, and, and that's, a, that's, a fair, that's a fair request. That's a fair ask here. SharePoint is a huge API. So it, I don't know how and when it's going to happen, but I, there's a lot of hopes and lots of movement in the team that creates that. We want to have that 
wheel rolling so we can finally start seeing more and more and more of these endpoints yeah it was, that wasn't a criticism it's just the kind of you know the the getting getting files from the the files api in graph is different than what you would do in the sharepoint space yeah, it's a similar and, pattern it's certainly a, absolutely yeah 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 the mapping isn't one-to-one for no, sure no, two worlds it's credit to the API council, like with Daryl and Dan Kershaw, and now Gareth Jones is back actually as of last week, um, because you know we're trying to make the API the same no matter what workload you're on. Whereas like one of the reasons we did the graph in the first place was you know if you went and tried to use Outlook and then you tried to use the SharePoint API, they're completely different. And so you know having that consistency is. Um, is better. I guess what it means is that the Outlook team won when it came to defining the shape of the API schemas in Graph, and the SharePoint team didn't. <laughs> and obviously, there's a bigger transition there. But there is a lot of gaps as well, which is um, the big thing that personally I'm hoping the the Viva, the Microsoft Viva motion that got announced a few weeks ago, can really start to help put some pressure on those engineering groups to be on Graph and not carry on relying on SharePoint REST APIs for things like Pages and you know, the, or the gaps here and there that we have that aren't on graph right now. But yeah, we should definitely add that to our mailbag list, Seb. Absolutely. I think Paul just gave you more work, Seb. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good for later, but that's actually <laughs> a really, really good topic. There was a, an, an amazing blog post by Marcus. Yeah, uh, we actually talked about it in this show. Yeah, the Marcus's show blog post. Oh, wow, yep. like basically that's like it's Microsoft documentation level type of blog post yep. that yep. is uh, amazing on on how to do your daily tasks with SharePoint like that you would do with SharePoint Trust, but now in, in Graph. And that was like just pure gold. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, that, that was Marcus Moeller who uh, who was on the show about uh, four, four or five months ago as well. So yes, if you search in the, through all the show notes for Marcus, uh, that was a, was a great thing. And now you you start off by telling us how you're doing a lot of work with partners and ISVs, but obviously our listeners are more than just them. So if the, if uh, any of them have questions, either MGT or just in general, what's the easiest way for them to reach out to you and distract you so you don't get any more work done? <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially on Friday afternoons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the easiest way, I think that I monitor the most is definitely my Twitter at Sebastian Levert, one word, no accent, like there in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> How much trouble did that cause when you first joined? Um, uh, well, that's interesting. I think now it's getting better, right? Yeah, it definitely in, is. Initially, because, because of my name, that there's an accent in my official name, there's an accent and, and all the team, Jeremy, Brian, Fabian had a rough time to find me on, on Teams because my name never showed up with SE. It did not show up. And, and then it's like, when you have a US keyboard, good luck finding a, uh, an accent on the E. Uh, I, I know by heart the alt code, like I can, because if I have to write my name in a keyboard that has non, like like French Canadian thing, I, I can walk around. But now I think it's, go, it, it's good. We're collaborating enough that my name shows up first anyway, so. <laughs> this is the value of Microsoft forcing a diverse workforce where we experience these kind of things internally and then go raise this with the product teams going, this is really bad. Like how have we never fixed the fact that these accents on top of letters can cause so much problems for app mentions in Outlook and Teams? Actually, I think it worked in Outlook, but it didn't in Teams. Exactly. Was what we yep. got to. But now it's all good. Twitter is, is definitely the, the... Twitter and Q&A. Yeah. We're, we're pushing hard now on Microsoft Q&A for questions. And we actually have a dedicated team there that is kind of 
being the front door where they're trying to answer the majority of the questions. And then if they get stuck, they come to our team and they go to the workloads themselves too. So that the benefit of that is it's all in one place. Well, thanks a lot, buddy. And uh, good luck with the uh, the new uh, head coach of the Canadians. I know I, we lost most of our audience here start talking ice hockey, but oh, uh, good luck. Good it's <laughs> going to be a long season, everybody. It's, it's going to oh be a long gosh. season. Back-to-back games <laughs> as well at 4 p.m. is, is um, I have to just turn off everything and then when my work day's finished start the dvr recording and watch the game <laughs> yeah here it's perfect fine 7 p.m yeah yeah and we have to have a moment of silence because brent seabrook retired today so for those uh the, those wow. who care about me you know anyways but so thanks for a lot for coming on it was great to catch up again and we'll look forward to chatting again when you get some more stuff posted absolutely and hopefully the next time it's going to be a face-to-face in oh God, uh, so. a conference room <laughs> or a on a weird table in a conference hall somewhere <laughs> but at least face-to-face would be great thanks mate see you soon cheers Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 